This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, the title of today's show is Trump and the Prince, an emerging bromance. We have so much to talk today. I mean, I think, you know, we're going to cover everything from the Trump extravaganza to Palestine and everything. But I think Donald Trump is in love. He is in love. He's in love with the billions of dollars coming from Saudi Arabia. Exactly. And it's amazing. I mean, people would like to think that the real romance with Trump has to do with sex workers and prostitutes and former playmates. But the real bromance, frankly, is with a man. You're absolutely right. And I, I think we're talking about Trump has fallen in love with an Arab. Of all people, for Trump to fall in love, you would think that that was not necessarily his type, was to fall in love with an Arab. But it seems as if Trump is in love, he's in love with an Arab man, and that bromance is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. I mean... Wow, was he courting him, showing him charts and props and giving him the official White House welcoming. And, you know, you would think that, um, you know, he'd be a little light on the courting, but uh, he is courting Mohammed bin Salman from A to Z. And, of course, Jamal, we can't limit the love fest with the crown prince because there is a bit of a triangle because there is another bromance going on, not just Donald Trump and Mohammed bin Salman, but there's a bit of a triangle because Jared Kushner is in love with Mohammed bin Salman. So there's a lot of love going on here. And part of the show today is that we're going to break it down. Because as it turns out, that a lot of the destabilization in the Arab world right now, you would think is related to really big geopolitical Uh, events that are going on. And unfortunately, when you look at it and you break it down and you look at how destabilized the region is right now, it may come down to a series of little bromances that are going on. And when you look at that, it's, it's really kind of disturbing. But the big news is Mohammed bin Salman comes to D.C. He gets the royal, you know, treatment. Treatment. Just to quote from Trump, he said to him, your father made a very wise decision. <laughs> this is this is you actually mean choosing in, him in, as in, the in, crown in, prince. Yeah, while also handing everything to him. Basically, I mean, let's face it; he is the de facto king of Saudi Arabia. Right. So here comes the the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, and he's on a mission. Three weeks, by the way. This is a three-week U.S. visit to improve according to a statement from the Saudi embassy, to improve the perception of his nation in the eyes of the Americans. So not Americans. the reality, but just the perception. You know, okay. uh, you know because most Americans uh, view Saudi Arabia warily because of its conservative social mores, unequal treatment of women. And of course, for many, I mean, I, I don't think just in the United States, but uh, across the globe, the uh, deadly military campaign in Yemen, I don't think that that wins them friends across, except for Donald Trump, because you know what? Donald Trump sells them the uh, killing machines and the ammo. the F-16s. The F-16s and the ammo. But you're right, you said something very important. Prior to Trump, there was a softening of this whole relationship and preparation first for the preparation for Donald Trump to go to Saudi Arabia and then for uh, the crown prince to come to the United States and this was done by your favorite friend Jared Kushner who is actually the real bromance is between Jared and the prince you know introducing and then and then bringing his father-in-law to this uh, I would say, menage uh, a trois, let's yeah, say. Yeah, menage a trois so with it, the three it, of them. It, it turned to a menage a trois between the three, three of them. 
And so now the prince came back. Now he's coming to the United States to solidify this relationship, bringing with him the uh, Saudi investments in the United States, billions of dollars worth of U.S.-made weapons to which the is, kingdom. Which is exactly what Saudi Arabia needs and to, to cement its future financial success, so, the best thing that they can yeah, do. And I mean, I'm making a joke. I mean, they're investing billions of dollars in, in more military hardware, but we know why they're doing that. Yes. So so basically, uh, analysts say that there is a minimum of $100 billion on the table. $100 billion on the table now that the Saudi Arabia is, uh, Saudi Arabia is committed to spending to spending so you saw president trump you know and of course mohammed uh, ben salman beaming sitting and i think it was the first time that i saw a president in a briefing uh, in the white house using props so he was like pulling these props showing you f-16s american made weapons and all basically the billions and billions to me the way it looked really for trump Mohammed bin Salman is one big cash cow. He's an ATM machine. Ready to be milked. Right. Dry. Absolutely. And, and so this is when we talk about this bromance. I mean, this is the bromance. I don't think it's a bromance in, uh, say, in a sense of, oh. We love each other. We love each other. No, it's a financial bromance. It's a big financial bromance. And the quid pro quo is uh, Mohammed bin Salman is going to spend and invest $100 billion in the U.S. military-industrial complex. And the exchange, Jamal, is to, is to elevate Saudi Arabia from a medieval kingdom to one of the big players— of the Arab world and the Middle East and beyond. I mean, what Mohammed bin Salman is doing is spending $100 billion or more to rehabilitate the brand, the Saudi, Saudi Arabia brand, which prior you know, to this bromance really had been having a lot of problems. We know that. I mean, since 9-11, the Saudi brand has been tarnished significantly. It's under Barack Obama. We know that it was a tense relationship between Mohammed bin Salman's father, the king, and the United States. Barack Obama also was making the Iran deal at the time, the Iran nuclear deal, which infuriated the Saudis. And through a series of events, which we'll talk about, has led to this extreme warming of relations with Saudi Arabia and a freezing, if you will, of relations with Iran, because within the next month, we're going to find out if the Iran nuclear deal is squashed, which, which would be uh, a devastating uh, diplomatic event. I mean, it would, be, it would be horrible, but it looks like it could move in that direction. And now we're see, seeing $100 billion being transformed to rehabilitate the Saudi Arabian brand. You know, I was in Saudi Arabia. You know that. Yep. Uh, somewhat recently. And it's interesting. You see pictures of the king and his son, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, everywhere. The new plan, we don't have time to talk about it. It's called Saudi Arabia 2030. And it's the prince's plan to rehabilitate culturally what's happening in Saudi Arabia. He, You know, he gave an interview on 60 Minutes over the weekend where he said men and women are, are equal in, in the eyes of uh, Islam and should be equal, you know, in the middle in the, in the Arab world and in Saudi Arabia, women are starting to take driving lessons and will be able to drive. Women can now go to sporting events in Saudi Arabia. Prior to the crown prince, they couldn't go. So you see this marketing effort to rehabilitate what is perceived about Saudi Arabia to change significantly. So it's it's an expensive uh, marketing campaign, Jamal. We're going to give you credibility. That's what the United. That's what Donald Trump is giving MBS. Donald Trump is saying you are the big. You're going to be the big. You know, player on the street. But we need something in exchange. That's the hundred billion dollars. Well, also there is 
a background to this aside from that Saudi Arabia has always been dependent on the United States uh, for protection, for weapons, etc. And the United States always looked at Saudi Arabia as a one big oil keg. Right. Uh, and, and, and hence that's why uh, the involvement during the first Gulf War because not just because Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, but they were they felt very threatened that Saddam Hussein will continue into Saudi Arabia. So this is the, the relationship. It's not, you know, we, we use the term a bromance. It's really about oil, money, strategic. And if you remember, also Saudi Arabia houses one of the United States' largest uh, air force bases and yes. military bases right. in, in the whole uh, Middle right. East. However, and we talked about this earlier, what happened? And that's why this bringing back the Jared well, this is Kushner. Very, this is very important, Jamal. I mean, like how this happened, how the United States went from a strategic policy under uh, the Bush and Obama administrations from being putting pressure on Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and warming relations to Iran, which everybody internationally saw as a positive diplomatic effort, to really turning it upside down, isolating Iran, emboldening and supporting Saudi Arabia as being the big leader on the block, and I should add, Jamal, giving Saudi Arabia cover for their brutal war in Yemen. So the background to that is another bromance, right? So we also saw 180 turn on on the whole Iran thing, but this didn't come out of a vacuum. No. Because, of course, Israel has been uh, egging the United States uh, Forever. forever on Iran. The Saudis have had through both covert and overt meetings with the Israelis. They are also on the the same same page. page. But then, you know, recently, Prince Mohammed bin Salman imprisoned more than 380 princes. You only heard about the top 10 or 20 or whatever, but actually more than 380 princes, I mean, sorry, more than 380 princes and businessmen and former government minister you yeah. know, some were, some they were imprisoned in the Ritz Carlton Hotel, but others they were held in their own homes at and at other basically locations. Uh, Three hundred eighty, imagine. And one died, by uh, the way. One died squeezing squeezing money out of them. A hundred billion dollars too, by and the way. And now we know for a fact the one who whispered into his ear. That's right about a, an alleged coup, coup d'etat by at least 10 of those princes is Jared Kushner. Well, Jamal, I, I think you're, this is going to turn out to be among the most disturbing undercurrents and stories. So what we know is that Jared Kushner was uh, briefed by the most highly top secret piece of information, the presidential daily briefing. Jared Kushner, whose security uh, clearance has been pulled, by the way, was briefed that there were about 10 princes, Saudi princes, who were unhappy that MBS, that Mohammed bin Salman, was uh, being given this new role as crown prince and were planning to topple Mohammed bin Salman. Mohammed didn't know about this. Jared Kushner goes to Saudi Arabia, has a slumber party with MBS. They stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning chatting. And it is alleged with good sources that Jared Kushner spilled the beans, revealed top secret information to Mohammed bin Salman. And guess what happened 10 days after Jared Kushner spilled the beans? He rounded up all these princes. All of them got rounded up. All of them were squeezed for hundreds of billions of dollars. So this represents a, a, I think, illegal breach of uh, top secret information. I mean, that is just outrageous. The other thing is, is that why is Jared Kushner doing this? Well, there's another backstory. Jared Kushner, and we know the Kushner companies, are underwater financially. Big time. And they are looking for ways to fund their failing business. So you're going to see that the Kushners, and Jared in particular and his father, are really behind 
the destabilization of a lot of what's going on in the Gulf right now. We know, for example, that Jared Kushner's father met with Qatari officials asking for $2 billion, begging for billions of dollars, was turned down twice. They were crushed by the Qataris. What did Jared Kushner whisper into MBS's ears? Well, because he was privy, Jared Kushner, until he lost his uh, clearance, which he never had, by the way. He was kind of had a temporary right. c- clearance. But now we know that he had a recent loss of his top secret security clearance. He was attending every single meeting and every single briefing that the president of the United States received from his top security advisors. And part of, the, part of those security meetings, there was a discussion that there is a a potential coup d'etat in the making in Saudi Arabia. And so Jared Kushner, I mean, he went, his buddies, Mr. Kushner is 37 years old. He cultivated a personal relationship with uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is 32 years, uh, meeting him over dinner in Riyadh whispered in his ears, you better be careful. Your cousins are plotting (laughs) against you. And literally, you're right. Immediately after that meeting happened, he he rounded not only all the princes, but the big businessmen, uh, former governors, ministers, and so forth. And in addition, in terms of uh, the outrageousness of that, that's also around the time where the Saudis began their boycott and their isolation of Qatar. You know, good relations among the Gulf countries, they have the GCC, Jamal, the Gulf Cooperation Council. The Gulf countries get along really well. So all of a sudden, out of the blue, you have this, again, major change in U.S. diplomatic and foreign policy where the United States is supporting Saudi Arabia in isolating Qatar, Mm -hmm. which is... A terrible thing for lots of reasons. Well, does it have to do anything with the timing that Mr. Kushner went not once but twice to Qatar? And got rejected. Asking for $2 billion. Yeah, I don't... Asking them to loan him $2 billion and he was rejected twice. Kushner's father. So let's keep in And then all of a sudden... Qatar gets isolated. Qatar gets isolated. Yeah, and and, the, and Qatar has the largest now Air Force base, by the way, American Air Force base after outside of the United States. Af- outside the United States. Yeah, it's a huge presence. And do you want to really isolate and 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 kind of diplomatically be in bad relations with the Qataris who have the largest U.S. military base? I don't think so. So this is all leading around to our original points about bromances could be the foundation and cause of major international uh, changes that are not in the U.S. best interest, I would argue. Mm -hmm. But because of settling personal scores or personal bromances among three players, MBS, the crown prince, Donald Trump, and Jared Kushner. Frankly, I find it just disgusting, disturbing, and utterly uncomprehensible that we are putting the entire region in this uh, very impossible, difficult, destabilized position because Jared Kushner's father Mm -hmm. felt crushed that the Qataris wouldn't give him money. That's basically why we're here. Or it's all about family business. We family business. We said it from the day beginning. one. Right. It's all about family business. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. Uh, we also welcome our viewers on Facebook Live. We are going to talk about Facebook because there, <laughs> there, is a, there are problems with Facebook. Don't but get me started on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, we're going to get started Don't on get this. Don't get started. But I want to I wanna, uh, just end this topic uh, about so that Arabia a little bit. Number one, uh, there is an itinerary uh, for this two-week trip outside Washington, one week in Washington and then two weeks outside Washington. Uh, MBS plans to travel to New York, Boston, Silicon Valley. So he'll be here. So I'm telling our listeners in the Bay Area that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia will be in Silicon Valley, Do you think Los we'll get- Angeles, and Houston. He's going to be visiting companies, including Apple, Google. 
I don't know about Facebook, but he he's going to be visiting Apple and Google. And, of course, Lockheed Martin. Of course. Uh, you know, that, that this is very important. So there is a question from uh, one of our viewers on Facebook, and then we will transition to another uh, topic. What's the uh, question? The question is uh, from Saif Khan. How is the war on Yemen and MBS coming to power will help Israel and American interests in the region? This is really a good question. Thank you for that question. So basically the, the, the idea is that in Yemen is a lot like Syria, which is a proxy war for other interests in the region. So the way the Saudis and the UAE are pitching it is that Iranian economic and military interests had taken over in Yemen and were having another economic and military uh, strong strong point or strong position in Yemen. And this was making the Saudis and the, and the Emirates very uncomfortable to have another sphere of influence of Iran in their backyard. So when, when Yemen got destabilized, the Saudis and the Emirates used it as an excuse basically to uh, invade militarily. And, and what you're not hearing on the news right now is that the largest uh, humanitarian disaster, and some people say greater than the humanitarian disaster that is happening in Syria right now, which is catastrophic, but you basically have diphtheria, uh, medical uh, catastrophes, famine, starvation, as well as hundreds of thousands of people being homeless and literally children starving to death in Yemen right now with nobody doing anything about it. And the United States is letting their big ally, Saudi Arabia, get a pass on this. They're letting the UAE, which we know is basically doing a lot of the covert activities in Yemen also. So the idea is to minimize and to create a wedge in any kind of Iranian influence anywhere in the Gulf region and trying to minimize that. So that, that's basically the foundation of it. Uh, you're absolutely right, and uh, I will also connect. I mean, this also to what's happening vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran, because uh, the war on Yemen is also part of an indirect war on Iran. Yeah, and getting in Iran sucked into some kind of a issue. Oh, absolutely. Major with with Yemen, and then give a pretext of launching Invading. something because this is what. Israel wants. What I the mean, Israelis sure. want, Jamal. And this is what Barack Obama resisted to do. Right. What the Israelis want, and now the Saudis, is that they want the United States to kill the nuclear deal with Iran, to put sanctions on Iran. And then what the Israelis want, and this is why, Jamal, the Israelis admitted today that they bombed the Syrian nuclear reactor— which they, is really, everybody knew we that. We knew it, but they admitted it. This is a shot across the bow. This is a warning shot to Iran that they are laying the groundwork for some sort of military attack on, on, the, on Iran. So I think this is what's happening right now. This is why the, our viewers' question is, is such a good one. We're basically seeing an unfolding and the preparation for war in Iran. Yeah, you have all the makings. I mean, you have, of course, Netanyahu from day, day one, who has been always egging the United States to, to, go after, to go after Iran. You have Trump in the White House, surrounded by those generals and by all the politicians who have Iran on the hairpin, basically. Right. And and now you have Saudi Arabia, which was covertly, covertly. Yeah. Now it's overtly coming out. You have, you know, saying they ask who's the biggest threat in the Middle East. They ask the prince of uh, Saudi Arabia and they'll say Iran. What? Who's are you afraid of nuclear power? Yeah, we're afraid of the nuclear power of Iran. Israel had nuclear weapons since the 60s. And they don't care. They don't care about this. All what they care about is Iran. That's why we are actually, uh, you know, I mean, we meaning in the United States, we are towing a very well, I fine think, line right. that at, at any moment we might get engaged into another 
war in the Middle East, which will turn out to be worse than what happened in in Iraq. But you're right, Jamal, and we should we're we're saying this on the 15th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, which we know has created the biggest destabilization and catastrophic consequence for millions of Iraqis. A million have died. It has spilled over into the entire Arab world and Middle East. And that ill-fated, illegal uh, war built on lies, this is the 15th anniversary, has wrecked havoc all over the world, not just the Arab world and the Middle East. And now we're on the verge of yet another planned attack, I believe, on Iran, which will destabilize things 10 times worse than they did in Iraq. So we're encouraging our viewers, our listeners, people who are paying attention. This is really the one of the reasons why this current presidency is so dangerous right now. It's laying the groundwork for yet another invasion and creation of the largest kind of expansion. And that's this is what happened today. They're voting today and tomorrow on the next budget, which is the largest expansion of the military budget in 20 years. We're on the verge of another military kind of catastrophe in the Arab world and Middle East. So I, I, that's one of the reasons why this whole bromance between Trump, MBS, and Jared Kushner, and Netanyahu, we need to throw Netanyahu in, into this bromance, Jamal. And that this is really not in the U.S. best interests. And, and the sad and the sad thing, they're going back to the United Nations, rattling the swords of war uh, towards Iran. They are uh, making up stuff as far as the war on Yemen that Iran is uh, basically uh, one of the main reasons it's that not. Saudi Arabia. Uh, highlighting Iran's involvement in in Syria, which is basically helping Syria to defend itself That's it. against ISIS and terror groups that were created by our involvement in, in Iraq, in, in Iraq and That's through right. that porous borders between Syria and Iraq. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying either I'm too old <laughs> you know, or something like this, because we've seen this at the United Nations. We've seen the story we've, before. We've watched uh, we've a former this. security, a former Secretary of State, Colin Powell, presentation. Remember, people have short memory. All the lies, and I actually saved and posted the video, this big video and big presentation, PowerPoint presentation, with photos of uh, the lies. chemical weapons and, and yellow cake and whatever. Uh, let me see if I have actually a sound bite of this, but it is really crazy that people don't even remember what happened. Biological or chemical weapons activity. This is the voice what of Colin Powell. What significant is that we have a human source who has corroborated that movement of chemical weapons occurred at this site at that time. So it's not just the photo, and it's not an individual seeing the photo. It's the photo and the knowledge of an in individual being brought together to make the case. This photograph of the site, taken two months later in July, shows not only the previous site, which is the uh, figure in the middle at the top with the uh, bulldozer sign near it. All right. It shows that this previous site... Well, basically, well that's, all of the other sites that's, um, almost, that's over 15 years ago with Colin Powell basically lying... And knowing that he was lying, yet lying to the United Nations about Iraq having uh, weapons of mass destruction, including this particular mobile chemical unit, which turned out, Jamal, to be a complete fabrication. It is, a, it is really a complete fabrication. That's why I'm, 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 I'm saying to myself, we must have a new generation, either, with, either they're too young, since this is uh, 15 years ago, or people have short memory, a memory span, or that 15 years ago when the United States invaded Iraq, then Secretary of State Colin Powell delivered his infamous speech at the UN providing the US with the pretext to destroy the country. 
His, his speech was full of lies about a non-existent Iraqi program to enrich uranium in order to develop weapons of mass destruction. That's exactly right. He also, by the way, part of that speech, and I, I urge our listeners and our viewers, you could just Google it, Google uh, Colin Powell's presentation to the United Nations Security Council, and put, you can put the year. It's February 5th, 2003. This is this was basically the launching pad that gave the United States the green light to to invade the country. Not only he made, by the way, the false accusations that uh, uh, Iraq was developing developing weapons of mass destruction, but he also made a link that uh, to Al Qaeda. He said Saddam Hussein had ties to Al Qaeda, which is a complete which lie. is another 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 lie. Nevertheless. This is why the United States went into war. And this is what Nikki Haley is, is doing, doing now. Exactly. exactly. That's is- why history repeats itself. And it kills me to see it. And no one standing, I and mean, very few people, especially you know, at, in our government, Congress, and say, hey, wait a minute. You guys dragged us into a war. We lost billions of dollars. Trillion to be Trillion. And, and basically, and so killed a million Iraqis, and we lost the li- I think more than five thousand Americans and hundreds of and, thousands of uh, and a destabilized region. So Nikki Haley is the new Colin Powell. We have a comment, by the way. I should mention it from our friend in Australia. He said you shouldn't forget uh, his British culprits, which is very true. That's true. By the way, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO. We're in San Francisco. At 89.5 FM. Jamal, we're going to follow this story very closely because we're on the verge of this next greatest expansion of the industrial military complex. Because really, that's, the, that's, that's really the scene here. Politicians, you know, they, they may or may not have short memories, but they do know that among the big players are the transnational, you know, military uh, companies, Lockheed Martin, MBS is coming here, you know, $100 billion in military hardware, invading Iran, all of these things, invading Yemen is good, unfortunately, I hate to say this, is believed by by the power brokers, by the elite here, like Trump, MBS, Kushner. They believe that this is good business, that this is good for the economy. And under the cover of that, they're going to end up destroying uh, potentially yet another country and de- destabilizing the region again. We're following uh, several stories. We've uh, dedicated uh, most of the program talking about the bromance between His Royal Highness uh, Prince. I think there's what's a, what's, Salman. What's four people and, and His Royal people. Highness in the White House, what, President Trump. Yes. What is because he'd like to be also. But the bromance called the Royal Highness. The bromance is MBS Trump. Kushner and Netanyahu. So that's a menage a four, right? Yeah, well, usually it's menage a trois. I know, but it seems like there's a lot of menage going on around here. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit here because uh, we have a lot of things going on, especially with the big news. Uh, Which big news? Big news about local news for us being in in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, it is big uh, news. What happened to Facebook? You know, this is uh, the if one of the largest uh, uh, companies in Silicon Valley. You know, just in our backyard. And so, for our listeners and viewers, you know, we uh, now know that uh, the British data mining company use information inappropriately collecting from the accounts of more than 50 million Facebook users. So any of us, any of us probably uh, will be part of that uh, big uh, data harvesting that they've had. But basically, more than 50 million Facebook users while working on the Trump presidential campaign in order to influence the vote. So, so these, these, these are the reports, I think, they first surfaced uh, in the New York Times. No, British. British? British uh, Channel 4 has Channel been, 4, and then yeah. the New York Times yeah, ha- has been covering this. Then, of course, the Trump campaign reportedly paid Cambridge Analytica more than $6 million during the campaign, according to federal election records. But you're right, British Channel 4 
News taped Cambridge Analytica CEO Alexander Nix secretly for a program aired on Monday. Right. So so this is now the big story. But and I've been watching basically our news reports right here in this country. And they talk about, of course, they have major concerns. Yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg, he was on CNN saying, you know, of course, after losing 50 billion dollars of value in Facebook uh, stocks and and it might be even more. I wouldn't say defending. He was kind of a little bit shaken up and said that something is going to happen. Oh, he, I didn't and, believe a word of it, Jerome. And they're going to try to improve things. It's so bogus. And it investigate and, and, and go after the source, but the source is right in front of them, and no one is talking about it, that actually Cambridge Analytica Paid used them. Israeli companies and former Israeli spies in its intelligence gathering. So, so this, you know, you go back, follow the money, but also follow the root of this whole, which I call espionage on a global level that brought not only harvests the, the information of 50 million users, but also Eight or eroded fifty billion dollars of value of value of one of the United States' largest, uh, you know, Silicon Valley companies. So let's break it down for our listeners, Jamal. You're making a really important point. Cambridge Analytica, Jamal, hired either current or former Israeli Mossad agents, not only for surveillance, but to act to uncover. When they would want to do, um, when they wanted to uh, help someone win an election, they used Israeli Mossad agents to do surveillance. They used Israeli Mossad agents to dig up dirt and to plant dirt to discredit the people, uh, the you know, the competitors of these people that were hiring Cambridge Analytica to win these uh, elections. I mean, basically, they're hiring the Israeli Mossad to do the dirty work. That's really the big story here. In addition to Cambridge Analytica, basically, it we can't say illegal because they did what was legal at the time under Facebook, but harvesting the personal information, the, uh, the profiles, the likes— all of those things, the 50 million uh, Facebook users. We have to come to this conclusion, Jamal, that Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, now we know that they sell our personal information, but it's really one, Facebook is really one big surveillance company. I mean, everybody is using Facebook because we put so much information of ourselves out there. It's being used by security services, it's being used by agencies like Cambridge Analytica, it's being used by NSA, CIA, other intelligence services to mine information. And Mark Zuckerberg has the audacity to go on TV and to plead like ignorance, like, oh, I didn't really know that Facebook was being used this way, is a complete fabrication and lie. And not I only this, it. and not only this, it. but they don't mention one word about the Israeli spies involved they don't. in his like who because he says, "Oh, we are going to conduct a forensic analysis, uh, analysis blah blah." The, you know, it's in the media. It's, it's out there. But he doesn't say And anything. he doesn't mention. It. And I tell you why he doesn't mention it. And this is really important to our listeners and those who basically have been posting things uh, about Israel uh, uh, or about Palestine, they have noticed recently a major throttling of information. That's right. Uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, individuals, uh, you know, trying, uh, posting something to highlight Israeli atrocities, Facebook is has, throttling. has been deliberately throttling and in many, Editing. Uh, in many occasions, no, shutting down sites for being critical of, of Israel, Israel right. violating uh, people's First Amendment. And when did this happen? Because now ev all, everyone is focused, uh, focused on the harvesting of information, you know, and they're not talking about the Israeli involvement. But in 2016, we, you know, you don't have to go far. I mean, things have started to change 
right? Absolutely. And 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 uh, and earlier, uh, and Facebook has admitted that they have been cooperating with the Israeli government Absolutely. and the American government. But you know the big news, but I, I can tell you that most of our listeners don't know. What? I don't know if you know that, but you know, Facebook, okay, hired an individual and her name is Jordana Cutler. Who is currently? Who was currently the chief of staff at the Israeli embassy in Washington D.C.? They hired her for what? And she has always been a long-time advisor to Netanyahu. She was hired as head of policy and communications at Facebook. Well, Jamal, I think that says it all. I think it says it all that Facebook hires. A, street, a chief media strategist and policy strategist that used to work for Benjamin Netanyahu. So, so tell me, how is, how is this not conflict of interest? Well, of course. And this is what we're trying to tell our listeners and our viewers. You know, uh, the, for Mark Zuckerberg to, to kind of pretend on CNN and through his post that he really didn't know what was going on, that they have to investigate it, is complete bunk. It's a complete fabrication. It's a complete lie. They've been using this information. They've been selling our information. They've been collaborating with the Israeli government and the Israeli uh, security apparatus as well as the American security apparatus. And they've been using Facebook as this massive surveillance uh, platform, everybody. You need to wake up and take notice that even the founder of WhatsApp— you know, you've heard this, Jamal, right? He, Facebook, by the way. Well, yeah. Well, the founder of WhatsApp sold WhatsApp to Facebook for $19 billion. Yesterday, the founder uh, tweeted something and said his hashtag was delete Facebook. <laughs> I mean, he himself, having benefited $19 billion in the sale of his company to Facebook, realizes how problematic all this stuff is that Facebook is doing. And the disingenuousness of Mark Zuckerberg is just disturbing. I don't, I don't even know where to begin that people actually believe that he didn't know about this stuff when they're hiring people who work for Benjamin Netanyahu, when they throttle people who have pro-Palestine views, when people get their accounts shut down because they're advocating for Palestinian, you know, uh, rights and, uh, you know, human rights like that. And these accounts and these people are getting throttled or shut down. Hello, everybody. Wake up. It, it's time to really take a sobering look at the way Facebook is being used, the function, how it's being co-opted by various um, intelligence, uh, you know, organizations all over the world. It's a very disturbing story, Jamal. It is very disturbing, and that's why I wasn't convinced by his interview on CNN. Oh, I was disturbed. And the fact that he didn't mention the Israeli spies uh, working... For him. Uh, you know, basically, <laughs> basically uh, harvesting all the, the information of uh, 50 million uh, Facebook subscribers... And he didn't have actually a, an answer or a strategy to what he was going. I think to, he's in trouble. To, you know, to be as doing. he should be. So uh, we have uh, about ten minutes left. We should talk uh, about and, uh, a couple more things. And Jamal. yeah, we have a few things left. And most importantly, uh, I want to also discuss the topic of Ahd Tamimi. Yeah, we, big who, news. who we've been reporting on uh, since she has uh, been arrested and as, as Detained. probably most of our listeners by now know that the Israeli military court sentenced her to eight months. They said it's a part of a bargain, bargain uh, deal. Plea deal, yeah, plea, plea deal. deal uh, you know, eight months, Jess. Well, here's what happened, Jamal. The plea deal between Ahed uh, lawyers and the Israeli military court is that they will drop the charges against her in exchange for her staying in detention. It's not even jail. We need to make that distinction clear because she would be treated much better in jail than she will under in this indefinite detention in an Israeli military prison. She will have to be the 16-year-old 
uh, young woman is going to have to spend She's eight 17 months. She's 17 now. 17 years old will have to spend eight months in a military prison, uh, an Israeli military prison. Also, the, her brother, her cousin, her mother, they've also had uh, are part of this plea deal too. They will also have to pay fines, spend some time being detained. I mean, I think it's really interesting because the Israelis never give plea deals like this. The Israeli military always tries to send a message, Jamal, that if you exercise your your right as a human being, your you know, non-negotiable human right as a human being to defend yourself against aggression and occupation, that you will be punished for it. The Israelis never back down from that. They seem to have really backed down. And Ahed Tamimi, what's going on? Well, there is because of the international pressure, uh, you know, that uh, they have been seeing. And I think the international pressure will continue. So uh, hopefully that will well, also she shouldn't spend any time. Affect. Exactly. And that's, this is, this comes at the, at, at the time or uh, within the same days when the, now uh, the Israeli court is going to release the soldier who extrajudicially assassinated, assassinated killed, yeah, a, an injured, basically, Palestinian lying on the floor. He basically shot him in the head while he was... Uh, already injured. Uh, already injured. They are going to release him after 10 months. So a slap in the face get you, gets you eight months, and this is by a minor, but a soldier, an Israeli soldier... Murdering who, a Palestinian. Who kills a Palestinian gets 10 months. That's Israeli justice. That's the Israeli justice system. Um, Jamal, there's there's something about the Israeli uh, rabbi, the the national rabbi, I think you yeah, were telling me about. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this. But, but also the other thing is now uh, um, you have a lot of uh, organizations, human rights organizations, oh, yeah. including Israeli organizations who have been putting, you know, stats uh, like Beth Salem and so right. forth uh, about the number of uh, attacks on Palestinian children, the number of incarcerations, but also they are uh, juxtaposing this to the attacks made by Israeli colonial settlers, settlers. on the Israeli army. Right? Oh, that's right. And and so they are finding out not a single settler has, has been, been arrested has been arrested or charged or imprisoned. And they use an example of this infamous settler who basically terrorizes and harasses Palestinians all the time in Hebron. And, uh, you know, she's been... I uh, think I know this one. Yeah, she's the one that th threw a bag of feces and urine. Yes, her name is Yifat Al-Kobi. Yes. And yes. she recently, um, you know, she attacked an Israeli soldier. She slapped him. She scratched him in the face. It, uh, she was caught many times hurling rocks at Palestinians. Never spend a day in jail. And never will. And That's she never. So that gives you, this basically gives you a clear idea on what's going so on. So, Jamal, what do you say that the only world leader that ha has a bromance with Donald Trump is Benjamin Netanyahu? And that it doesn't that, isn't there a pattern here? We're finding Israeli... Well, now we have uh, Ben Salman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the menage, uh, the real menage at Trois. Maybe it is. It's the real menage. It's not the Kushner. Kushner is the facilitator. Of the menage But the real menage at Trois is between Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu, Mohammed Ben Salman, and Bibi Netanyahu. Well, that's... Uh, and, and Donald Trump's. Yeah, well, yeah. I just think that um, our viewers and listeners, we've said this before, what... You know, Donald Trump has been condemned by every—I mean, who hasn't condemned Donald Trump on the international stage? The only people that haven't condemned Donald Trump have been dictators, thugs, and despots. So Duterte of the Philippines, who basically uses extrajudicial assassinations and calls for the killing of people— who are drug dealers and has done a lot of really outrageous things, is a big fan of uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump loves Vladimir Putin, who, you know, in his last election, which he won, 
just yesterday, 70% of the vote, imprisoned the only person that was able to, that was, you know, scheduled to run against him. So basically thugs and despots and monarchs are the only people, it seems, that really love Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu. I don't think that pattern is um, random. No, it's not. And one last story you mentioned. Yes. Because we have a few minutes, and this is really a disgusting story, it, in my it opinion. It kind of is a disgusting you story. You know, so one of Israel's most senior religious leaders, Sephardic chief rabbi Yitzhak Yosef. He's the Sephardic chief rabbi. I mean... This is as big as it gets because in the whole hierarchy, you have the Ashkenazi chief rabbi and then you have the Sephardic chief rabbi. And, you know, and he uh, has been caught and calling black people monkeys. Right. And, you know, I had to read this twice and then look at some videos to even believe it. And he was seeming to target black Americans specifically during a sermon. So uh, well, Rabbi Yitzhak, Chief Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef made the remarks, and this was in a footage. So he, he, he can't deny that, but which aired by the Israeli news site Ynet. Yeah, but I want to put this in context, Jamal. It's in the context of Israel rounding up tens of thousands of Africans, immigrants, you know, like we're, we're, Donald Trump wants to do here and get rid of the 800,000 dreamers, wants to get rid of all these brown people. Israel has rounded up tens of thousands of asylum seekers, asylum seekers from Africa, and is getting ready to deport them also. Here we have yet another similarity in leadership style. These are Africans who, you know, basically came uh to seek asylum because of the conditions that they were, you know, living under in various countries in in, in Africa. They've been uh, working inside 1948 for many, many decades at a time. They've been rounded up by the Israeli government now, Jamal, and they're about to be deported. Yeah, but imagine, I mean, this is the, the chief rabbi of uh, the second maybe largest Jewish group in Israel, to, co- to use, he uses the Hebrew word kushi. It's a very derogatory word. very derogatory. It's a very derogatory word. You know, and, 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 and refer in such a way, and basically, you know, uh, you don't even uh, hear condemnation From in... Anywhere. In the media right here, no, nothing. the story doesn't even make it on Fox News. The story, imagine if this was done by someone else, right? Yeah. Imagine. imagine a shea- I mean, an imam or a, a religious leader somewhere else making this kind of comment would be front page news everywhere all over the world. Hey, we want to thank you all for joining us again. Thank you. We really appreciate you listening. We really appreciate you watching. Send us your comments to ArabTalk at kpoo.com. Go to our website, which is arabtalkradio.com. Go to our SoundCloud, which is Arab Talk Radio. And watch us live on Facebook at Jamal Dajani 2. We'll see you next week. 